Sometimes I'm afraid that we complicate the things that Jesus asked us to do. Sometimes we think, golly, there sure is a lot of rules in this book. It's hard to follow them all. And that is true. But today I want to talk about what I think is the most crucial thing for an individual uh, in their walk with Jesus as in their existence. The most crucial thing uh, for a church. The most crucial thing in the Christian life. And that's to answer the question, what is a disciple? It's very clear when we look at God's Word and those four Gospels. Those people that we call disciples had a deep spiritual change that took place in their lives because of who? You can answer out loud. Who changed them? Jesus changed who they were. And so as we answer this question right at the beginning, I want you to take a Bible, if you have one there or on your phone, if you've got a Bible app, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to answer this question. What is a disciple? Matthew chapter 4. Well, you've got the scripture. I'll just read the scripture you've got on the screen. I don't know what translation it is, but we'll assume it's a real translation. I'm sure it is. Which one? That's good enough. All right. So, as, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, him being Jesus. In a nutshell, a disciple is someone that follows Jesus. That's what becoming a Christian is all about. You know, I know we have these little things that we do, a sinner's prayer, and those are good. We see examples of that from time to time. But the thing we see more consistently than anything else in God's Word in the New Testament, especially with Jesus Christ, is He calls people to follow Him. He says, follow me. Follow me. Come and follow me. That's what a disciple is. Someone who follows Jesus. Now... To follow Jesus, it's, it's a life-changing experience to do what Jesus did. Because guess what? Jesus was perfect, right? He's God's son. There's not a single one of us that's going to be able to follow him perfectly, are we? But we keep striving to be like him and more like him and more like him. So now turn with me to another passage. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And we're going to see what following Jesus becomes like after Jesus 
has ascended to heaven, that following Jesus, one of the aspects of it is taking others along with you in that journey. This is the Apostle Paul writing to one of his uh, young guys that he's mentored named Timothy in this letter. And this is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. These things, the things that Paul's been teaching Timothy, you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I know some translations, that word reliable uses faithful. Your Bible may say faithful right there. So what we see is we see Paul has mentored and taught Timothy. That's the second layer. And Timothy has entrusted to reliable people. Paul's heard Timothy talk about some of them enough to know they're reliable, right? So that's a third level. And then those in that third level will be qualified to teach others. That's four levels of multiplication we see in that pat just that one little verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. To me, that's a really big deal. Let me, let me unpack what multiplication looks like. And, and uh, one person that wrote, uh, Billy Graham, most of you may have heard of that guy. He was, you know, an evangelist. Uh, you know, years ago, we haven't heard much. We hear more about his son, Franklin, the Operation Christmas Child. That's Franklin's son that does that uh, for Christmas. And Billy Graham wrote a, an autobiography in the 90s called Just As I Am. If you've read it, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's a really good book. In one of the chapters, he evaluates the things that he did in evangelism and, and ministry. And typically what Billy Graham would do, and I, was, I had the pleasure of working a Billy Graham crusade in Dallas, Texas in the early 2000s uh, where we had over 15,000 people make a decision in, in, in three nights in Texas Stadium where the Cowboys played at the times, where we held it. But the, but the thing that was difficult to, to swallow for me for Billy Graham, for others, out of those 15,000 decisions that were made in those three nights, we were only able to plug about 750 of those people into a local church. I don't know about y'all, but I don't think that's the way it's supposed to work, right? We want to see all of them get involved and grow closer and learn how to follow Jesus, right? That's the real goal. Is it God's will for everybody to be saved? He wants us to be saved, but that's not all. He wants us to learn how to follow Jesus, right? That's the ultimate goal is to follow Jesus because that's where real life change begins to happen when we begin to walk like Jesus. So Billy Graham in, his, in this chapter in his book, he begins to talk about how if he could do things over again and start over, Rather than preaching to 10,000 or more a night, he would go back and spend a year with one man and disciple that man and mentor that man and teach him how to then do the same with someone else. 
I thought that was an amazing thing for Billy Graham to admit. He's not saying he regretted the ministry and the evangelism that he did or the decisions that were made. He just looked back on it and he saw those kinds of results that I saw in that crusade. We see it all the time in our churches. I remember the first vacation Bible school that I had as a pastor at Mount Olive Baptist Church in Meridian. We had 36 decisions. We had 36 kids pray to receive Jesus that week for Bible school. Man, that, that was so exciting. It was so much fun. I had trained adults in our, you know, in our church how to help lead people to the Lord. We were only able to get six of those kids baptized, though. And I began to reevaluate how I did things in ministry because I don't think that's God's will for us to have that many people come to Christ but never grow in Christ. And, they may, and hopefully, hopefully some of them did find their way into a church one way or another, right? So discipleship today is something I want us to talk about. How in the world can we try to work in a way that prevents people from just slipping through the cracks, right? That's what we want to try to do so that all learn how to follow Jesus and become productive in the work of the Lord as they learn how to grow. How do we get people in Bible studies so they can grow deeper in the Lord? How do we get people you know, involved in a mentorship like what Jesus did with those disciples, what Paul did with Timothy? And that kind of relationship that really, really, really begins to help them grow. And one way that I think we can do that is by learning a parable that Jesus told. We're going to learn a parable today. Y'all ready to learn a Bible story with me today? This is a real familiar parable. You can close your Bible now. We're not going to need it. We're going to, we're going to memorize it. We're going to do it all from memory. Okay? But it is in God's Word. It does come from Matthew chapter 13. This parable, many people, your Bible might even say it in there. You may have heard it called the parable of the sower. I don't like that title. Because the sower doesn't change. Sower's the same in the story. There's also seeds in this story. The seed doesn't change. It's the seed of the gospel. It stays the same. But the thing that changes in this story is the types of soil. So I like to call this story the parable of the soils, okay? And so here's how this story goes. Listen, Jesus was teaching to people, and he said to them, let me tell you this story about a farmer, about a sower. This sower went out and he sowed some seed. Now, if you all know how people used to sow seed, they didn't necessarily, you know, teal rose and that kind of thing. They just took seed out of a bag and they just whoosh, whoosh, and they threw the seed, right? And Jesus said this seed, some of the seed fell on the path where people walk. It was hard. It was rough. And that seed, seed never got into the ground. It never, nothing ever came up. No, nothing ever sprouted. That seed stayed on that path but the birds came and they took that seed. It never grew. The second kind of soil is rocky soil that the seed fell on. This rocky soil, guess what? It went a little bit into the ground and it sprouted up with joy. Beautiful little plants started to come. But when the dry, hot sun came out, Jesus said that it wilted the plant 
and it died. The third kind of soil was sown among thorns and thistles and weeds, and it came up as well. But as the weeds and the thorns grew quicker, it choked out the plants that were sown by the sower, and they died. But the fourth kind of soil, it was good soil, good soil. And its roots grew deep. Jesus said, this soil, when the plants came up, it produced a great harvest and multiplied 30 times, 60 times, some even 100 times more. One seed became 100 in some cases. And later on, some of the disciples are talking about this story that Jesus told. You know, that first story he tells for everybody to hear. And then this other part, he hears his disciples. They don't quite understand what the story was about. And so Jesus begins to explain the story. He says that first type of soil on the path where the birds came and, and pulled the seed, that's the enemy. The bird represents the enemy comes and steals that seed of the gospel. A person never comes to know Jesus. It's blinded because of this, the deceit of the enemy. That second kind of soil, that rocky soil, that rocky soil represents someone who doesn't have, they're not rooted in God's word. They've not, they've not been taught how to live for God. And so because of the shallowness of their faith, the sun is able to come in and just wilt them away. They, any hardship or difficulty in life comes along, they don't know where to put their faith and trust, and they just fall away. But there's someone joyfully that came up. This is somebody that got saved, right? Somebody that trusted in Jesus. The seed came up, but they never reproduce any fruit. The third kind of soil, that soil that gets choked out by the weeds and by the thorns and thistles, Jesus says this represents those that get influenced by the world and wealth in the world. And they get preoccupied with the things of the world and it chokes them out. And they, they get too busy doing other things besides following Jesus. And they never reproduce. They got saved. But they never multiply. And then that fourth kind of soil, the good soil, it represents the people who hear the word. They take it deep in their hearts. And they want to be like Jesus. And they want to follow him. And they want to bring others along. And their seed multiplies greatly. 30, 60, even 100 times more sometimes. So that's the story. Let's tell it quickly again. Jesus says, let me tell you a story about a sower. This sower sows the seed. It falls on four kinds of soil. The first kind is a path. The seed that falls on the path doesn't get into the ground. The birds come and snatch the seeds away, and it never comes up. This is somebody that never accepts the gospel, Jesus tells us later. Secondly, the, the second kind of soil, it's rocky soil. It, it, it sprouts. It comes up. But because of the heat of the sun, it wilts away. The third kind of soil, 
It falls among thorns and thistles and weeds. And it gets choked out after it comes up. It comes up, but then it gets choked out. And that fourth kind is good soil. Not only does it come up, but its roots grow deep and strong, and it multiplies 30, 60, even 100 times. Jesus explains it. The first kind on the path, that bird represents the enemy, comes and steals that seed of the gospel so that they're not able to accept it. Nothing ever comes up. Second type of soil in the rocky soil represents the gospel is planted. It does come up. Someone receives it joyfully. But then the uh, lack of, of, of biblical teaching and doctrine in their life allows when hardships come, they, they're not able to handle they're not They don't know where to put their faith and trust because they've not grown in God's word, not had help, anyone to help them along to grow. And so they wilt and never reproduce. The third kind, among the weeds and the thorns and thistles, that represents the person who, who comes to know Jesus. But then the things of this world and wealth, other things occupy their time rather than following Christ. And so it never multiplies either. It wilts away and choked out by the things of the world. And that fourth kind, the good soil, someone deeply rooted in God's word, taught about it, learns how to reproduce it, and so it begins to multiply 30, 60, and even 100 times. We've done this before. It's been a while. Go to your neighbor and tell that story. Remember, you got a sower. He's sowing seed, four kinds of soil, and then what those four kinds of soil represent. Tell it to your neighbor. We're getting little groups of two or three or your family right there. Give you a moment just to tell that story. Good everybody. I know some of you may still be working on it. We'll go back through it. Y'all help me. So who's the main character in our story? The sower. What's the sower doing? He's sowing seed. And where does the seed fall? What's the first place it falls on? The path, right? Hard granted. What happens to the seed that falls on the path? The birds come and eat the seed up and it never comes up, right? What's the second kind of soil? Rocky soil. What happens to the seed that falls into the rocky soil? It comes, it comes up a little bit, doesn't it? Okay. But what happens? The sun comes out and it wilts. It dries and wilts. What's the third kind of soil? It's, it falls among thorns and thistles and weeds. And what happens to it? It comes up, but it gets choked out, doesn't it? And the fourth kind of soil? It's good, that's good stuff. Like this black soil we got around here. It's good dirt, right? Good dirt. And it grows how much? It, it multiplies. Anybody ever planted a pea? You know, a purple hull pea or a black-eyed pea? It's amazing how many peas you can get from one pea, isn't it? Right? And that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. So what, what does the first kind of soil, that soil on the path, what is, what is Jesus talking about there? What really happened? No, those that never find Jesus. The enemy comes in and, and, and prevents them from being able to ever really accept the word. Clouds their minds. We could think of a million things the enemy's doing right now to keep people from coming to Jesus, couldn't we? What's, what's the second kind of soil in, in the rocky soil, the seed in the rocky soil? What's that mean? It comes up, yeah. 
and it, it dies. Why does it die? All right, and well, the sun represents what? It doesn't have a foundation in God's Word, does it? It's not truly learned how to trust in Jesus. It's accepted Jesus, knew Jesus. Hey, this is, this is awesome. There's somebody that died for me. But they don't learn about how to trust Jesus. Nobody's there to teach them. The third kind of soil with the weeds and the thorns and the thistles, it, it comes up. But what happens to that, that seed? And that represents what? The choking out. The, the cares of the world. The cares of the world and wealth and get caught up in doing everything but following Jesus. Just get too gum busy, don't we? That's relatable to all of us, isn't it? And then that fourth kind of soil, the good soil, what happens to the seed that goes there? It grows. And that represents those that hear the word and take it deep in their heart. There's going to be a great harvest, isn't there? There's going to be a great harvest. Now, discipleship, I think of three things that are, you know, discipleship. I think about this grand piano here. It's got three legs. What would happen if we took one of the legs off? It'd fall, and it? it couldn't stand up. It's, it's got to have, <laughs> Philip would have a heart attack. <laughs> Jackson probably too. <laughs> it needs those three legs, doesn't it? A lot of times, unfortunately, in our churches, though, we try to do discipleship without all three legs. Here's what I mean by three legs. This is a form of discipleship, what we're doing right now in a large group, isn't it? We're learning about God's Word. Hopefully, we're going to apply it in our lives a little bit. That's one, a, a large group setting. We do that really well, I think, in our churches. You know, we do that pretty good. Worship service, worship. Another way to do discipleship is small groups, like Sunday school or small community groups. What do you all call your Bible study groups? Sunday school. You know, that's another, that's another really good way to do discipleship. And we see Jesus even doing a little bit of that, kind of. But did you know that over 67% of the teaching that Jesus does in the gospel is one-on-one? -on -one? Let me repeat that. Over 67% of the teaching Jesus does in the gospels is one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus and the rich young ruler. Jesus and Nicodemus, that's where we get John 3.16, our favorite evangelism verse, right? Jesus and Zacchaeus. One-on-one -on -one situation. Jesus and Levi, who we know him as Matthew, the writer of the first gospel. His teaching moments like this one, the parable at the beginning of it, is kind of a large group setting. Those large group settings like it and the Sermon on the Mount and the feeding of the 5,000, that's less than 10% of the Gospels where Jesus teaches in a setting like this. And then where he had, later in the story where he teaches his disciples what the parable means, that's about 25% of what Jesus does teaching in a small group. But over 67% is one-on-one. -on -one. We do a real good job I think of the large group. We do a real good job of the small group, the Sunday schools and small groups. But there's a leg, and it might ought to be the biggest, most important leg because that's what we have more evidence of what Jesus did. 
that's missing on our piano, right? And our piano's sometimes falling over. It needs that other leg of, and it doesn't have to necessarily, a lot of times one-on-one might just be you and two other people. It might be more than one, but, but there's so much more you can do with a really, really small, tight group. And when you evaluate Jesus and his teaching, you can narrow down even some of that small group to just Jesus, James, John, and Peter. James, Peter, James, and John, that's who he really did the most teaching with. And those are the ones we hear the most about in Acts and later on in the other epistles. And we see how much, how much more impact those guys had than the other disciples even. So what I want to encourage you to do, I love this little thing that y'all handed out today, to do ministry individually. Begin to think about your discipleship, having that aspect of it as well. That's a form of discipleship, doing something one-on-one with somebody. There's a lot of ideas you can do. But then it can become even deeper where you meet with somebody on a regular basis and study God's Word. Families, The greatest responsibility, moms and dads, you've been given is to disciple your kids. You know, make disciples of your children. So that's an opportunity to just three things and then we'll be done. Real quick. Ways, three keys to making disciples. You have to have an intentional leader. Jesus was an intentional leader. Paul was an intentional leader. You got to be intentional about doing it. You know what? If you're going to go through with any of those things that's listed for you to do, you're not just going to wake up tomorrow and say, well, maybe I'll do one of these today, right? You're going to have to intentionally say, you know what? I've already got an idea about who I can play a musical instrument for or who I can put down or when I can put down electronics and spend time with someone who's talking to me, right? I can think about a, I can plan to do that. It just doesn't accidentally happen, does it? Just like you just didn't accidentally show up at church today. You had to get up, you had to get ready, you had to think about it, you had to have a plan. Discipleship is the same way. So an intentional, be intentional about it. Second, it's got to be relational, you know? We do a lot of good small group teaching and those kinds of things, but it's got to be more than than one person in front of folks lecturing. It's got to be relational. Allow people to learn from one another. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We can learn from one another. And then the last thing, it's got to be reproducible. One of the reasons that I tell Bible stories the way that I do is because I know Maybe not everybody in this room, but I guarantee you a week from now, most of y'all can tell me that story we just learned about the the soils. You can tell me those four kinds and what they represent. That's why I love storytelling, because it's reproducible. If I get up here and I read that passage and just dug into it deep, 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 deep so that hardly any of you understand it, most of you ain't going to be able to tell nobody about it a week from now. But you can tell that story a week from now. So simple. That doesn't mean that our literature and materials isn't good. You can make it simple too. But let me, let me say, the first thing I said today is sometimes we make this too complicated. Right? <coughs> Following Jesus should be complicated. 
It should be something we wake up wanting to do with joy. It shouldn't be like, oh, no, I've got this pre-calculus test for Jesus today, right? (laughs) It shouldn't be something that scares us. It should be something we want to do because it's not hard. It's just right and good for us to do it, to learn his word, to be good to other people, to do things to help other people come along. What we don't want, We don't want the enemy snatching people away, do we? We want them to come to know Jesus. Also what we don't want, we don't want people who come to know Jesus, but they don't know God's word enough to stick with it so that they become reproducible. We also don't want them to get so busy doing things that really, in the grand scheme of things, the fact that John Cohen's no longer the athletic director at Mississippi State ain't going to mount to a hill of beans in heaven. You know, right? I mean, it it bothers me a little bit, but, you know, the most important thing is, am I following Christ and helping other people to do the same? Let's bow our heads as we prepare for a time of commitment. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the parables that Jesus shared with us that are understandable for us. We thank you that even when maybe it wasn't, understandable for the disciples the way they want it to be that you put in your word a way that we can really understand what you were teaching to them Lord help us to be disciples that follow you help us to share that seed of the gospel with others and help others grow in their faith as well I pray for the families represented here today that they would grow strong in their faith that they would raise up children that are reproducing their faith in our community and that's what we need We see the enemy working really hard to promote something other than Jesus. We see in our education system, in our government, and so many things in our world, the enemy reproducing things that aren't the gospel. And so, God, we need to to not be like that second kind of seed. We need to be firmly founded so that we don't fall away and not reproduce. We also need to not let the world become more important and the things of the world more important than following you, Jesus. So today, as we have this time of commitment, Lord, let us all commit to following you with all of our heart so that we can experience deep spiritual change for ourselves and for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand.